a lot of fun stuff. One crazy, I'll tell you one scene. Ah, 30 years ago, I directed an episode aired of uh, Colonel Homer with Lurleen Lumpkin. Remember her? Oh, yeah. So, uh, and I helped design her along with designer John Rice. But, and that's a rough drawing I did recently just to kind of remember this is how we did it. Yeah. But there was a scene where Lurleen's up on stage singing and the fans don't like her. So they're throwing things, beer bottles at her and stuff like that. And uh, somebody, the, the script said a saddle is thrown on stage. And so Tuck and I both talked about it. Boy, no matter how well you draw the saddle, it's tough to read. What mm. it, it's a shape and it's, you know, not, we don't see them every day. So I remembered uh, calling up Al Jean, our showrunner at that time and uh, saying, uh, you know, I keep telling him that problem. It's that's a tough prop. So, within about fifteen minutes, Al calls me back. He says, "Have him throw a pig on stage, <laughs> a live pig." So it was Tuck again. Tuck, because of his sensibilities, he was the one that animated the. He said, "Oh, okay," and he animated the pig going up, being thrown on stage, and then scrambling and running off and stuff. And then they put a really good sound effect. It was so much better than a saddle. Yes. You know, Tuck made that pig come alive. And, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have to research it. He just knew, oh, a pig would do this. So, but that was a Tuck, a small Tuck story. But, uh, but we worked together for those very crucial years for me. And uh, we, we just stayed dear friends. And um, so I, I love the guy, as, as did everybody. You know. Hey guys, it's your host, Julian. This week, I sit down with legendary Simpsons director, Mr. Mark Kirkland. Mark has directed the most Simpsons episodes of all time, and he is currently sitting at 70. We talk about how he got into the Simpsons, some of his earliest memories. We got some Tuck Tucker stories in here, and they're pretty fun. We also talk Ollie Johnson, one of Disney's nine old men, and so much more. Before we roll into this episode, I do want to take a quick second and send our condolences to Mark and his family. The world lost an amazing photographer, and Mark lost his hero, his dad, Douglas Kirkland. From all of us here at the What's In My Head podcast, I want to say, Mark, you're on our thoughts, and you're in our prayers. Mark, the longest, I mean, I don't want to say the longest, it's got to be, how do I word this correctly? The most directed episodes by anybody ever, Mr. Mark Kirkland. Mark, how are you, sir? Good. Thank you, Julian. It's always a hat day for me. My hair stands straight up on a consistent basis. The only way I can tame this beast is by putting a hat and telling it to sit down, man. Uh, shout out to Mark, or not Mark, excuse me. Uh, shout out to Sean Cashman for setting this one up. I had Tim Bailey on last night, and uh, we started off this interview the same way we'll start off this one. Uh, since Sean actually recommended you to come on the show, I got to imagine with you working with Sean for so long, you've got a funny story or two, or the first time you might have met Sean, but whenever you hear the name Sean Cashman, you got a name, or you got a story or, or a... Um, yeah, I guess a story that comes to mind when you think of Sean. Well, um, just a very fond, you know, a fondness for Sean as uh, someone who's ta incredibly talented, hardworking, and uh, just a quality, supportive friend. Yeah, uh, that's Sean Cashman. So, uh, I, you know, we. He has worked, we've been industry friends besides Simpsons, where Sean worked probably 20 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. He worked a few years there. Um, but I, I've watched him go from getting into the industry to, uh, you know, he's, he's a supervising director for Disney now. Yeah. It is, you know, he's an Emmy Award winning director and, uh, uh, he was a former governor for the TV Academy and actually he did it for a term and then he recommended me and then I did it. But, uh, but we bump into each other occasionally at a coffee shop and uh, we always trade stories and we consult each other really about our careers and our career paths. So, but uh, dear friend. 
That's really cool. And it's always nice to have somebody that you can uh, really reminisce, but you can always see where you guys are going at. Somebody that's been in the trenches with you before, right? Some wartime friends. Um, but uh, like I said, man, I buried the lead just a little bit, man, but you've directed more episodes than any other person for the Simpsons. What does that, what does it work? What does it feel like, I guess, for working on something for so long? I mean, obviously you're, you're, you've left just not too long ago, but I mean, what was that feeling like starting out storyboarding then you're directing? And then you, like I said, you've got that title as longest. I, well, one of the advantages I had was I, I got in early. Of course, when I joined them, you know, David Silverman, Wes Archer, Rich Moore, uh, they were already there mm-hmm. as cornerstone directors. They, they, that I, I came aboard at the end of season one and started uh, working on my first episode, which aired, uh, was the fifth episode of season two, Dance and Homer. But, yeah. but I was there while they were still finishing uh, projects. And I, I went to Klasky Chupo to do uh, some commercials. And while I was there, I saw Brett. Brad Bird still working on retakes for Krusty Gets Cancelled. David actually did some, you know, repair work on uh, the the, uh, episode with the babysitter, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so they were still working on season one when I was working there. And then, uh, you know, I was... I, I was excited by The Simpsons when it came out. I, I my career path where I was at that time, I had uh, you know a dozen years under my belt of various projects and studios. And when I saw The Simpsons, um, I, I said I really like the entertainment value that it has, and I I think my skill set that I have, I think I could direct one of these, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, the advantage I'm talking about is when I got hired, they hired me as a director. I had never drawn a Simpsons in my life, but you know, they knew from my background that I had, you know, I was capable of learning model sheets and learning a show and, uh, they took a chance. Uh, David Wes Archer and I were working together on a Levi's commercial and Wes said, would you consider, uh, joining the Simpsons? Uh, would you like to direct one? And I said, I would. So uh, David Silverman came in and looked at my work and asked a few questions and he felt satisfied to move me forward. And then I, I went uh, portfolio in hand to the uh, showrunner who was Sam Simon at mm-hmm. the time. And Sam looked at my work and he watched some of my animation reels that I, including some things I've directed and produced and he said, okay, uh, we'll take a chance on you. And, uh, but honestly, I was hoping for a year or two of work. I, I <laughs> in the freelance world I was in, uh, going from show to show, project to project, sometimes working in TV commercials, sometimes a six week job was a long job, mm-hmm. you know? So to get a year was like, wow, that's stability. And, uh, I was married. I had a baby myself at the time, or I should say my wife had the baby, but yeah, had a family. And the idea of like a long gig was a good idea. And so I, I saw opportunity. I love the entertainment value. Um, and, uh, but the fact that it went for 30 years was, is for me, I, I, I worked on Simpsons for 30 years primarily as a director. I did do some storyboarding often for my own episodes, uh, but sometimes for others, but it it was, uh, you know, it was a gift, honestly, to, to be connected with a series. Well, not a, thus there's only one Simpsons. So it was a gift connected with the Simpsons uh, and work on the quality, you know, shows that we, uh, do the wonderful characters, the wonderful stories, and the wonderful crew members, my colleagues. You know, it, it's been a really good, fortunate thing for me. So. I got to imagine, man. And, and this this came up with uh, Tim last night. Tim just celebrated his 27, 27th anniversary with The Simpsons. 
And he was talking about it. He when he was like, uh, we were just talking about this today or yesterday, he said. And he was like, it's wild to think he's like, I've seen people retire from the Simpsons. Like they're no longer doing animation. They've retired from animation and they were working on the Simpsons. That was the last thing. He was like, I started with the Simpsons. He was like, it's going to be crazy to your first job in animation. You stay with it so long because the topic came up. He's like, most people for any job, really, like my job in particular, like uh, for cooking, for wanting to be a chef, you de- tend to stay in a place for a year. You gain all the all the knowledge you can from that chef and either you move up the ladder or you move on for, to chase. You know, you're always chasing information. You're always chasing the next uh, the next step up for, and it's like that with every job, but cooking is just such a huge turnaround. There's not a lot of job retention, right? So in animation, you got, you just talked about it. Six weeks was a long time at one point in time with all the freelance work you were doing, but to sit there and say 30 years for the Simpsons, man, did it, now this is going to sound like a dumb question, but there's a reason I'm asking it. Did it feel like 30 years or was it like most people say, it's like, I went to sleep, I woke up and it's 30 years later. Kind of like that. It's yeah. Ripple effect. Uh, you know, uh, George Irving Washington. You know, character who fell asleep under a tree and woke up twenty years later is is is. It's a little like that. I I, I have a good I have good memory. I, I I retain good you know remembrances of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I I re- particularly remember the first five episodes I directed, or maybe. But then, then it starts to get like, I remember key episodes I worked on, but then it is like a blur. And I've even sometimes started to watch a little jump in on a piece of a Simpsons and I'm laughing and it seems really familiar. And I go, oh yeah, I directed this. <laughs> that has happened. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. great, man. Cause it always, it always comes up. Uh, Cause I asked, uh, I've asked you, you guys, you know, what's your favorite, uh, you know, what's your favorite episode? And they, they would say, he's like, damn, did I do, did I do that one? And, and we'll have to hit pause and they'll go and Google it. Like, Oh shit, I did do that. One. I directed that one and I storyboard. And he's like, I didn't realize that was my favorite one. He's like, I thought that was my friend's episode. That's why I picked that one. So it's, it's, it's crazy to sit here and think 30 years. It's a long time. I mean, uh, I, I'll be 33 next month. So it's, it's, we were, I was born the same year the Simpsons came out and I've told this story multiple times. There was two shows that I was just not allowed to watch as a kid that I had to sneak around and watch. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you've heard this your entire career when you're working with the Simpsons. Uh, wow. but this, the, the Simpsons was the one. And then my mom and my mom used the same quote. She just took the name out and changed it out. So the Simpsons and Rugrats. And the quote was, was I will not have a son like that goddamn Bart Simpson, or I will not have a daughter or a son act like that goddamn Angelica Pickles. So that was the whole reason we couldn't watch those two shows was those two characters, man. But I've, I've sat back and I've watched. I've, I started rewatching the show um, from start to finish because I've got, a, like I said, I've got a 12 year old. Yeah, 12 year old. Yeah, 12 year old. I don't know why I said 13 earlier, but almost 13. Uh, so he's at that stage where I was at, where I started like really delving into animation and becoming a fan of this stuff, like chasing, like, who was this? Why did they do that? You know, oh, he worked on this show or she worked on that show. She worked on this too. Right. So this is that inquisitive stage of my life where I was at when I started discovering all this stuff. So I've started rewatching the entire series with him and he's watching it for the first time. And uh, it, it, it's been fun because my mom will come over and my mom's like, you letting him watch that dumb shit. And I was like, mom, you'll be surprised this is this futurama king of the hill this is some of the smartest shows you'll ever she's like no it's all stupid it's like mom, mom, mom you don't understand i was like a lot of these writers are from harvard a lot of these writers are from yale stanford these ivy league schools this is some of the smartest writing rooms some of the smartest artists you'll ever meet and she's like nah it's stupid i was like mom to be honest to be fair don't take this as the wrong way but you didn't graduate high school, man. So these guys went above and beyond. These guys were smart. It's a glove and it's a, it's, we like to break balls. So she does it to me. I do it to her. She held me back in the fifth grade. I had to do the fifth grade twice. So it's the least I could do is throw it out there every once in a while. But, you know, like I said, man, so it's, it's interesting to see and watch this with my son because seeing him discover the show, like I started to discover it around his age. It's been interesting because I'll sit there and I'll watch myself and I look at him. And he won't know that I'm just looking at him in the side. And I was like, man, I wonder if that's what I look like watching the show. I was wondering if, is that the way I thought at his age when I was watching this for the first time? So, I mean, this show, like I said, for 35 plus years now, it's, it's touched so many lives, so many generations. It's, it's here to stay. And like you said, it is the show. It is the series, the animated series. So, um, 
but you said you remember those first five that you directed particularly any of those five when you think about the first five you directed any of them stick out more than the other one um i was all there was a challenge to learn the show uh we we didn't we didn't have like a huge animation budget mm-hmm. so we were training people and when the simpsons uh aired it was the first prime time animated series in about 20 years i think uh, hanna-barbera started was at hanna-barbera they had a series called wait till your father gets home <laughs> It was with Tom Bosley, and I, I, as I recall, it went one season, but it was pretty charming, actually. For you know, it was a soft kind of Tom Bosley, wonderful voice and all that, and it was kind of a, a gentle humor show. And it, it only lasted one season, and the networks had pretty much decided anything animated is only for small kids, and you know we're not going to uh, put a lot of money or time invested into animation. And uh, things started to change. Um, I, I was part of a group of CalArts students who were trained and uh, I was fortunate to get training by a lot of wonderful, not a lot, a few wonderful Disney veterans uh, who had worked in the golden age of animation and they, for not much money, went back, became teachers in their later lives and shared with us the knowledge, you know, of how to do animation. Problem was there wasn't, you know, where do you put that energy? And uh, what happened though, was my generation loved animation and really it was just waiting for quality animation to come back. And when it did, uh, you know, suddenly, they couldn't get enough of it. We couldn't produce enough Simpsons. The demand was so great. And so that first year was such a challenge, tight deadlines and training people. So that was one of the challenges for someone like me and David and Wes uh, was to, how do you take 18 year olds, 19 year olds who have maybe done a little cartooning. Uh, You were lucky if they had done any animating, but some of them were just like, you know, would draw for themselves and how do you train them to do animation, teach them what a storyboard is, teach people what is a layout. And then once you're in it, it's like, okay, how do you act in paper? How do you act with poses? And uh, that was, that was a huge learning curve for everybody and myself too. Um, It was, it was a big learning curve, but so the first five episodes were just like, that was a year. Mm -hmm. work for me um but I, I went from show to show to show and by my second show i remember i was at the Klasky chupo building on highland my crew of layout artists was upstairs i was in a downstairs office we had an elevator but it didn't really work very well so a hundred times a day i was running up and down the stairs And I remember just hanging on to finish the second episode and I was worn out, exhausted. And I went to the doctor who listened to my chest with a stethoscope (laughs) that you have walking pneumonia. (laughs) So (laughs) that was a challenge. And that episode was Bart gets hit by a car. Yes. You know, it was a, a, a handful to put together, but, uh, but it, you know, I, that was a memorable one. My, my very first episode was Dancing Homer, which that we, we had the energy to do that. This is a cell from my first episode. Oh, that's a beauty right there. That's actually Bart and Homer. And you can see I, they gave this to me as a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually the background, so it is unique. There oh, that's is, really cool. That setup is a unique one. And then later, it looks like in 92, I got Matt Groening to sign it. So that's kind of cool. So it absolutely is. A little show and tell. But uh, my first episode was amazing to go through that and see it on television. And my parents threw a party and we invited everybody. And uh, Sam Simon came and joined us. Matt Groening came. Uh, 
and uh, also uh, Richard Sakai came and the whole my whole crew came and David West and I'm pretty sure Rich my one of my mentors Ken O'Connor the legendary Disney uh, art director he came to the party so and we all sat down and watched you know my first episode air so it was like oh my god every but I have to say every time for our young crew every time one of our episodes aired almost every time we went to a party and it was a big deal to see that it felt like you were if we were athletes yeah it was like the super bowl you know it was like you just played in the super bowl and some of the early episodes i listened to a uh, uh a, a podcast a recording of uh, with john schwartzwelder fast mm-hmm. A writer I worked with on, I, I think I directed six of his scripts. Um, and he had the distinction of writing the most scripts. I ended up with, for for now anyway, directing the most episodes. Uh, but he was saying like uh, Marge versus Itchy and Scratchy had a viewership of something like 22 million or, you know. Holy shit. Huge, huge. That's number. an understatement. <laughs> So when we were all, uh, you know, that, but I don't know what numbers any of my shows got, but uh, we had, we had the country basically tuning in. And uh, so it it felt like, wow, this is an important, I I knew it and felt it. Wow. I'm doing important work for my life and important to me, but also like culturally, important and uh you know towards the millennium the 2000s i started in 1990 and by 2000 10 years later time magazine was putting together like a millennial issue uh you know the best of the last 2000 years and they said that the simpsons was the best television show ever if you're into anime, manga, comic books, movie reviews, or just pop culture, Spoiler Force Podcast is the place for you. Not only do I talk about nerdy topics, I have conversations with a variety of guests, such as musicians, Comic-Con artists, cosplayers, other podcasters, and people from all over the world. Join me. That's so cool. Crap, that's Time Magazine. One second. I got to imagine you got that magazine, right? I have a copy somewhere. Yeah. Oh. I thought you were going to pull it up. I was like, oh, it's show and tell again, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of show and tell, but uh, it, it it felt like, wow, you know, you're working on something that's touching people. Mm. And, and I do know exactly what you're saying of the, I've watched Simpsons go from, oh, you know, people telling me, oh, I won't let my child watch that to becoming a family show yes. where on disney bought it you know it's a huge part like i just told you we were just at universal universal has like they so i'm a little sensitive to what the simpsons did because they took over my back to the future ride back to the future ladies and gentlemen and all you nerds out there that are watching and listen to this just listen for just a second back to the future is the greatest trilogy of all time it's not star wars because star wars is not considered a trilogy anymore not a true trilogy and you can't sit here and play lawyer ball with me and say well the first three movies no 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 they did nine of them technically they fall into the same trilogy so it completely negates the fact i piss a lot of people off every week mark or every time i bring the back to the future trilogy being the best but the simpsons took over like so they turned the entire back to the future ride into the simpsons ride and it's in it's simpsons world right now it's so it's right next to men in black in orlando um which is phenomenal we go there every single time we go to universal because universal is my favorite park over the two that and islands of adventure islands of adventure is more of the the the, the roller coasters and everything like the new kids like all that stuff i like the universal side because it's the, that's the park i grew up with um but yes, it is insane that so many of my friends, my mom too, like all of my mom's family, like we were not allowed to watch The Simpsons. And now you look around and it's like my friends watched it. So now they're watching it with their kids and I'm watching it with my kids. So it's it's wild to see the script kind of flip. And if people actually watched it, this had that stance is like, no, it's a horrible show. It's bad. It's this. It's that. You know, you have this common misconception of the show. Sit down and watch a couple episodes. The um, the episode that, that hooked me in the show I, I i don't know if it was the first episode that i actually saw but i'm so glad you brought it up and i try to stay away from these these topics however 
you brought this one up, Mark. So this is your fault just as much as it is mine. But Bart gets hit by a car. I believe this was the first Simpsons episode I ever saw. And um, Mr. Burns has actually been my favorite character of this series. Like Mr. Burns is the guy. Like I, I love everything about like him, Mo. They're up there. Um, there's a few other characters that I absolutely love. Whenever like groundskeeper Willie and Otto, those guys are up there as well. Um, but it's it's Mr. Burns. I don't know what it is. It's just he's fun to root for and he's fun to root against. He's one of those characters is like an anti-hero because um, he'll do something that's so evil yet. He does something that's really nice, but he's a dick about it. So it's, it's, he's just, he's such a fun character. Uh, and give me one second. So I, but like I said, I believe that was the first episode of the Simpsons. That's the first one that at least registers when I think about the Simpsons. Um, so with that being one of the ones that you absolutely remember being in the first five, you did uh, dancing Homer was up there too. We just, like I said, we're starting to rewatch it. Um, so we're, we're at season, I think we're on season four now, but you know, so that one's pretty fresh in my head too, but uh, miss bar gets hit by a car, man. I mean, what is this one or how does this one rank towards all the five that you remember? I know you said you, you were specifically remember the first five, but where does this one rank? Actually, uh, quality wise, I mean, I have to say the writing was outstanding mm-hmm. uh, and the voice acting outstanding. My directing, it was shaky. I was exhausted from the yeah. day and I could have done a better job. It kind of, it felt patched together and yet out of it probably because the material that i was working with was so damn good uh it it still ended up being kind of classic in its own way uh and even funny lines like uh take me i am old you know (laughs) that's still like you know i have a daughter who was i was the first director really with a child and Mm -hmm. She was a baby about, you know, right about the time The Simpsons was, came out and uh, hope she doesn't mind me talking about her. But uh, she and I laugh still to this day and we'll talk about, you know, take me, I'm old or the bees are on the what now. I mean, those both lines from the shows, we'll still play those to each other and, and we'll, we still laugh at those situations. Um, the quality, though, uh, inched up my team got better and stronger. My directing got better. We were always like swapping people out and uh, people would move, you know, people would come and go and animation wise, we tried to keep the strongest people as a team that we could, but the team, everybody learned their jobs better. And uh, you know, we would regroup all the time and uh, the quality inched upwards, but even by my, last episode of my first season was a war of the Simpsons where Homer catches the catfish and stuff. And it came back looking really good, you know, right out of the can. It, it was pretty, pretty strong. And, uh, you know, I, I had really good, a uh, really good team of people. My friend, Tuck Tucker, the, I have to sadly say the late Tuck Tucker. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 I brought him onto the Simpsons. I had worked with him before and he was my, one of my top animators, Mm -hmm. uh, but I would give him really almost slapsticky scenes, a little bit like Homer, you know, with the oar pounding on the, on the fish, trying to kill the fish, stuff like that. uh, Is was from West Virginia. So he had kind of a country, country, uh, country boy enthusiasm about fishing and stuff like that. So he was perfectly cast for doing stuff with Homer like that. And yeah. uh, his animation just sparkled. And uh, but you know everybody really the cool thing about the Simpsons for the animators was now I likened it like when you were trained to be a Disney animator, and I I went to school with a lot of people who became Disney. Mm-hmm artists and I, I have incredible respect for that training and I love it uh, but you're trained to be like in an orchestra and play in pitch and in rhythm and time when you worked on this it felt like those big massive features they did I, I would imagine of my friends that I would talk to it sounded like they were orchestra players you had to be really good at what you do and very professional and when you 
when I think of the early Simpsons days, I, I think more like we were a jazz ensemble and uh, you had to be good. Uh, but there was lots of solo opportunities if you wanted to solo and do stuff. And a lot of our animators really did shine. Whether you were an animator or a background artist, uh, there was opportunities to get a piece and make it yours on the show. You know, it would all be collectively part of the show. But uh, the, the, the talent that went through, and that's what I enjoyed about The Simpsons. Uh, you know, we, 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 we worked as hard as any animation team. Absolutely. The animators still do. The Simpsons people still work incredibly hard to provide, you know, what is The Simpsons. Uh, but, you know, that, that was the, the experience. But, uh, yeah, my, uh, I did the one where Patty... Homer tries to date. No, Homer sets up a Skinner. Yeah, with Skinner. Yeah, and uh, uh, and everything goes wrong. And I later found out while I was doing it that the writers considered it almost an experiment to let's not have let's take a secondary character not in the family and give them a major Mm storyline. And so they saw it as kind of an experiment, and uh, but it, it it turned out hilarious, and their timing was so good that they released it, I think, on uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, Principal Charming—that's what the, the name. But but that was a lot of fun to to uh, work on. And um, gosh, you reminded me—I I, uh, I'd have to dig through, but I have a storyboard from Principal Charming with Matt's and Sam Simon's notes in it back to me. And that's really cool. The show was written way too long and mm-hmm. we got an edict that we needed to cut all the shows down. And it was really fascinating to work on that episode uh, because that was the one I got a call from Sam Simon saying, what do you think we should cut? And meanwhile, we had laid out half the show and I'm like, I, I can't even see the, the forest from the trees at this point. But they they made some edits and cuts and, you know, combining, okay, these are two different characters. We'll combine them down to one character doing this. And, you know, it was fascinating to watch uh, our showrunner at the time, Sam Simon, uh, watch him story edit while doing the show. That was really fascinating to see. Uh, And it was interesting to see Matt Groening's where he found humor and uh, gentle humor and, and and stuff that I really liked cartoon humor that he would put into the show. And it was interesting to see the drawings that Matt would do and contribute. So uh, really, really an education for me. So absolutely, man, there's a couple things I want to circle back to, and I've done this a few times and tuck tuckers actually came up. I've got Craig Bartlett, the creator of Hey Arnold coming on uh, down the road. And he was a, he's a big driving force for Hey Arnold. He did a lot of Nickelodeon stuff. Um, oh, towards the end of his life um and we, craig and i go back and yeah i didn't get a job once uh, yeah. really or hey arnold he had just moved down we were friends. my wife and i at the time my wife at the time and i were friends with lisa and craig and mm-hmm. they had moved down uh from oregon and mm-hmm. uh, and uh I knew Craig needed work and I was working for someone and I landed him a job that landed a number of months. So I, we were good, very good friends. Yeah. Still are. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that chat. Cause he's going to come on uh, in the fall. He's busy right now with a couple of things he's working on. Hey Arnold was very um, transformative is not the right word. I, I can't think maybe it is transformed. I don't know. It was a very huge part of a very dark time in my life as a little kid dad had just went to prison, you know, a few years prior, um, you know, I was very young. My mom and my dad got a divorce. So I, we were going through some real shit back then. And I just didn't know. And I see, Hey Arnold. And I see this character that is always positive, regardless of what happened. Like he lost his parents. You find out he finds his parents in the, in the jungle movie. I'm so glad they finally got to wrap up the story the way Craig wanted to. Um, but uh, well, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Maybe he's got some more stories to tell with Arnold and his cast of crew, um, but it felt like it was wrapping it up in a pretty good way with the jungle movie. But 
getting to see that character and that show and and the music was great the animation was phenomenal like the characters it was just it was such a fun show from start to finish um but tuck tucker was a, a big part of that as well as well as a lot of other nickelodeon shows and i've done this with a few times and like i said it's it's happened with tuck tucker i, I can't remember who it was maybe it was dave cummings um because uh Cummings, no, Cunningham. Yeah, Dave Cunningham. He's the uh, supervising director for the Patrick Starr show over at Nickelodeon. And Tuck Tucker came up. Um, so whenever somebody's no longer here, uh, the best thing we can do is to immortalize them by telling a story. What is your favorite Tuck Tucker story? I think Dave told me the one, like uh, Tuck was a very big trickster when he would work on him. So his favorite holiday was uh, April Fool's. So I think he had taken um, the back when they had phones and receivers and shit. Uh, so he took honey and put honey on the uh, on the receiver end. So Dave, he called Dave a couple times, and it kept sticking to his face. I believe that was the story, Dave. But what's your favorite Tuck Tucker story? I got to imagine you've had a few. Uh, I got a few, and I, I wish uh, I should think about it more. But off the top of my head, I, I hired tw- Tuck twice. Mm-hmm. Four Simpsons, I hired him onto a crew. And what was interesting, this is just kind of an observational thing. Uh, I was looking at a lot of portfolios for a project to hire him onto. It was a Disney project. And uh, I, I was working for a company and you're in Florida. So do you remember the MGM studio tour? I do. And it's, it's come up quite a few times. And I wonder if that was the artist I saw, cause I wanted to be an animator when I was younger, they were rolling out SpongeBob. I see a lone animator down there. He's tearing stuff down, balling it up and throwing it over his shoulder. I asked the lady that's giving the tour, why is he, why does he keep doing that? And she's like, well, if it's not on model or if it's not the way it's supposed to be, he has to start all over. So I would just see this guy tear it and it completely crushed every dream I had ever had in an animator because I was like, well, I keep all of my drawings. I don't throw them away. So if I have to do that, I'm not going to be an animator. I gave up on my very young dream seeing that animator, you know, that, that artist tear shit down, ball it up and throw it over. So I wonder if it was Tuck. So... <laughs> My point was that I worked for the company. Uh, uh, the producer's name was Bob Rogers. He has a company called BRC Imagination Arts. It's a great company. You can look that up. But mm. I was hired as the animation producer to make the films that were shown in that pavilion. Uh, mm. And uh, Tuck Tucker was an animator, actually an assistant animator I hired. And I was looking at like, lots of portfolios and i saw this one portfolio it wasn't very good and what was really strange about it was i could see some drawing in there but every character had a head turned away or a bag over a head and there was no head drawings in the in the in the portfolio and so i dismissed it and then we were kind of getting desperate for the cleanup animation, this was a little film called Back to Neverland with Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite and, and a beautiful film. And um, Jerry Reese was our director of uh, Brave Little Toaster fame, someone you should probably talk to for sure. And, um, but I was in charge of hiring the crew and uh, we, we really needed some help. And one of the crew members, Don Parmalee came up to me and he said, I know his portfolio isn't good, but this guy is really good. You should hire him. So I said, okay, I'll take a chance and I'll make a quick decision. And uh, like, if he doesn't work out, he's out. But I hired Tuck on, he came in. And I think within a half hour of him on the job, I went by his desk and I looked down at the drawing he did the very first and it was a head drawing of the Robin Williams character. And it was perfectly on model. And I said, okay, you're good. So we loved his enthusiasm. And I stayed with the company after the project was done and did a second project uh, Mm -hmm. for Japanese World's Fair. And Tuck became one of my lead animators. So I worked with Tuck and we worked in storyboarding and comedy. And he was really good at coming up with fun ideas and very enthusiastic. Um, And then... When I went over to The Simpsons, once I got the job as a director over there, again, we were hungry for people. And I said, you got to hire this guy. So we hired Tuck. And then they said, "Okay, he's on your team. And uh, so I gave him, you know, a lot of fun stuff. One crazy. I'll tell you one scene. Ah, 30 years ago, I directed 
an episode aired of uh, Colonel Homer with Lurleen Lumpkin. Remember her? Oh, yeah. So, uh, and I helped design her along with designer John Rice. But, and that's a rough drawing I did recently just to kind of remember this is how we did it. Yeah. But there was a scene where Lurleen's up on stage singing and the fans don't like her. So they're throwing things, beer bottles at her and stuff like that. And uh, somebody, the, the script said a saddle is thrown on stage. And so Tuck and I both talked about it. Boy, no matter how well you draw the saddle, it's tough to read. What mm. it, it's a shape and it's, you know, not, we don't see them every day. So I remembered uh, calling up Al Jean, our show runner at that time and uh, saying, uh, you know, I keep telling him that problem. It's that's a tough prop. So within about 15 minutes, Al calls me back. He says, have him throw a pig on stage, <laughs> live pig. So it was Tuck again, Tuck, because of his sensibilities, he was the one that animated the piece at all. Oh, okay. And he animated the pig going up, being thrown on stage and then scrambling and running off and stuff. And then they put a really good sound effect. It was so much better than a saddle. Yes. But, you know, Tuck made that pig come alive and, you know, he didn't, ha he didn't have to research it. He just knew, Oh, a pig would do this. So, but that was a Tuck, a small Tuck story, but, uh, but we worked together for those very crucial years for me. And uh, we, we just stayed dear friends. And um, so I, I love the guy as, as did everybody. You know, I've so. never heard anybody say anything bad about him. It's, it's uh, doing this podcast. It's come up a few times. Robin Williams is my favorite actor of all time. He, uh, he passed away very close to my birthday. So whenever it comes up, it's just like, fuck man. You know, I remember slaying on the couch. Uh, I was sleeping. I was still in the Navy. I was in Norfolk, Virginia. I was still in the Navy and uh, I, I was taking a nap. I wake up, turn on the TV. And for some reason, the news was on. I never have the news on, right? I never watch the news because it's depressing enough turning on the news. And it just happened to be on. And it said Robin Williams found dead. And I was like, uh, this is a nightmare. This is a dream. I'm still sleeping. I, I didn't wake up. This can't be real. And then as it set in that I was actually up, I just remember crying fucking crazy and and so you know him being my favorite actor and then hearing hearing stories like these whenever i can bring up or whenever a name comes up that's no longer here that was so loved like robin like tuck uh james avery came up to uh uncle phil from the fresh prince of bel-air he was also the voice of the original shredder from the 1987 teenage mutant ninja uh, shit teenage mutant ninja turtles i'm a huge ninja turtle fan and i flubbed that one up mark uh, we'll fix that shit in post as you guys like to say um but uh you know so it's, it's whenever i get to hear those stories i really appreciate it so thank you for sharing that with me um you know we're getting towards the end of this uh this episode so i'd like to rotate in some fans questions however i've had a real blast chatting with you there's no way in hell that we could scratch the surface in one hour let alone 30 hours for the 30 years you've done so i'd love to have you back on whenever you got some free time man. i'd love to have you back on for another episode if you're up for it um so there's a couple questions we like to ask before we get to the fans questions these, these were always fun um so your mount rushmore so you have four people plus one of inspirations. They can be animators. They can be illustrators. They can, I've had Van Halen come up. I've had people's wives come up as, as um, inspirations. Uh, so it doesn't have to be just animators or illustrators, but you get four people plus one. So are there on your Mount Rushmore? If you could do all animators, that'd be cool, but you don't have to, uh, who would be on your Mount Rushmore? Um, well, this may seem funny and odd, but how about Laurel and Hardy count them That's as up there. Yeah. was one. As a child, uh, you know, I, 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 my father is a photographer, Douglas Kirkland. I recommend mm -hmm. people look up his body of work. It's incredible. Okay. And uh, but as a, when I was a 13-year-old, he bought me a Super 8 camera. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, those cameras were silent. And, but I, I, I wanted to make comedies, and I did with that camera. And they had to be silent. So I kind of strangely, I had to go through learning how to tell a story visually. But... I would set my alarm clock for one in the morning for television. Cause this is before DVDs and, and uh, tape or any of that stuff. 
and I, if I would check weekly the newspaper and see a Laurel and Hardy was playing at one in the morning, I would set the alarm, get up and watch a Laurel and Hardy short. But I love the comedy and I love to laugh. And uh, so that was a big, big, huge uh, Stan Laurel's comedy and Oliver Hardy's acting. It was really good. Now, I was so fortunate with The Simpsons when I got there. They, David Silverman particularly would point out, you know, think of, think of Homer as like an Oliver Hardy, that he's a big guy, but he, he gets very delicate with his fingers like yes. Oliver Hardy did. So when David would refer to that stuff, I was like right on board. Like, I, I love it. I love the gag structures and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So definitely Laurel and Hardy. So you got three more and then an honorable mention. Uh, I, I would say Walt Disney and staff. Yeah. For, for and, and a lot of the dear uh, friends that I've made with the whole golden age animators and their, you know, what they, what they trained me to do. Uh, it's drawing for entertainment is what they taught me to do. And uh, so that whole, you know, if I, when I was a teenager thinking if I could have any job in the world, one would have been, I would have loved to have worked on the Hal Roach comedy lot, mm -hmm. work on comedy. And then the other place was, I would have loved to have worked at Disney in the thirties on maybe silly symphonies or, you know, uh, you know, just a, you know, the old mill or some, something like that. Those, so those guys, yeah. Yeah. Mark Davis. Yeah. He's always, he's always been my favorite of the nine old men. Uh, it's just. That's a Mark Davis original. Oh, that is so beautiful. Like just looking at his stuff and then seeing that that's Bambi on ice. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but, and I met Mark Davis and, uh, you know, Did you get to learn from him in school. I know you said you went to Cal arts and you had a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the golden age animators. I attended, I'll show you something else. I attended uh, a couple of lectures he gave. And uh, I learned a lot from his lectures. Another, now this is a dear friend who, this is a photograph I took of Ken O'Connor. And he, he was the master layout artist, art director. He was an art director on Snow White. Mm -hmm. He came up with the witch climbing the mountain. He, yes the art director and a lot of layouts on the uh, dance of the hours, ostrich scenes, uh, Pinocchio. He worked on uh, hundreds of uh, shorts, mm -hmm. he worked on lady in the tramp and, and Peter Pan and came up with skull rock for Peter and Pan. And so incredible uh, Mars and beyond with Ward yeah. King worked on those. So uh, he, he was a big, huge influence. I, I'm lumping all my Disney dear friends who influenced me uh, and helped me with my drawing, you know, those guys. And, and it's not just drawing, it's drawing for entertainment. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's different from other kinds of drawing. So they're another I, one. So, and, and now I have to name more people. Uh, yeah. I think, I think you, I think we're on one more, your honorable mention. Honorable mention of who, who has inspired me. Um, Geez. Uh, well, certainly I'll, I'll say my father. I think of my yeah. dad. And uh, again, he, he, uh, his, his, uh, he always has had my back. He was always an inspiration. He, his love of his craft photography. And he has photographed a lot of people in entertainment, including mm -hmm. Robin Williams, yeah. uh, including Walt Disney. My dad photographed. Oh. So people look up. Uh, Douglas Kirkland photography and look at images of what my dad's done. And I used to work for my dad as an assistant. So I learned how to work from my dad. So, uh, you know, I, I can't be grateful enough uh, for what dad has done and his enthusiasm for what I've done. Ah, I, if I get one more uh, I, back to the Disney guys, my friendship with Ollie Johnston, the animator. I'm going to show you guys a drawing. Uh, 
Keep your hearts out. This is an original. This is the flower sack exercise that the Disney guys. Oh, did. and his Illusions of Life book. Yeah, this is this is an original charcoal drawing of that was given to me by the Johnston family. But that uh, is so cool. Yeah, so my 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 time spent with uh, Ollie and uh, and by the way, the desk behind you. Behind me, right here, this desk was Ollie's. And uh, get the uh, fuck out of here, Mark. That is so cool. But and it was really my friendship with Ollie that uh, you know I I treasure that I I knew Frank and Ollie, uh, but I particularly was close to Ollie, spent a lot of time with him and talking about yeah exactly talking about animation and and uh, so big big influences right there for me uh people that have my life in in a positive way so that, that's really cool man and thank you for sharing sharing the uh the photos ladies and gentlemen if you're just listening you're for sure gonna want to go and uh check out the video so you can see the very cool things that uh, market shows plus the desk alone man i gotta imagine just inspiration alone just sitting in that desk feeling fuck dude this is probably where he did every movie that i ever grew up on from start to finish man so i gotta imagine that feels pretty cool too um a couple different ones but this was his at home desk yeah oh, that's... he did he did scenes from rescuers on that but the desk was built right after snow white it's a Kim mm. weber desk and it was built in the 30s and he and frank each took one of these home uh so, but, but yeah, my, my friendship with Ollie, I see a picture of Ollie that I took the black and white one back there. That's, that's Ollie. And that's me with Ken O'Connor. And then right there, that's me and Ollie. But uh, those, those, those are very important to me. And then oh, I got a picture of me and dad together. You got to see this. That's my, my dad and I, before the pandemic, we would go to coffee shops and talk about photography. And it's uh, so cool. So that's Douglas Kirkland, and he 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 knew people like Stanley Kubrick, and uh, he worked at Look Magazine. He was very very famous for the photography he has done and continues to do. So, but that's Dad. So. That's so cool, man. Thank you for sharing these stories with us, man, and these these photos. Um, the next one is is always fun. Uh, so. A lot of fans that listen to this are either trying to break into the animation field or already in the animation field. So what are two books that you would recommend every fan of animation or every person trying to break into animation should have on their shelves? Yeah, on my shelf. Okay. You, you held up one already, but yes. you could only have one. Oh. This is one right there. The Absolutely. Illusion by Frank and Ollie. So mm. this so dense we we call this book the bible yes in the world there was a time when this book when the disney feature department was doing two features a year they had two units the animators wanted the original edition because the plates were better the clearer they had lost all the master plates and on reprints they had made copies of a copy so the clear first editions were in great demand and they were going for upwards of a $500 a copy. Well, you can now, you know, things have changed. You can pick, I've picked them up for $35 on uh, eBay and I've given a couple of, I've given out a few copies of the illusion of life to friends and colleagues. So that that's one right there. Um, you know, I, I would say that, that, that book. And then, Follow-up, book number two, any of the other seven books that Frank and Ollie wrote, you know. So th right there, those are great books. Um, absolutely. Into animation, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great recommendations. And this is our last recommendation before we get to the fans. This is how you came on the show, because, Sean, you are Sean's animation recommendation, you and Tim Bailey. So if you had somebody out there that you've worked with that you would think would have a great time on this show, who was your animation recommendation? Who should we reach out to, Mark? Uh, great question. Um, I think you had mentioned Jerry Reese, Brave Little Toaster. Call up Jerry Reese. Yeah. You can 
Jerry Reese. Yeah. Write his name down. We'll see if we can't get him on. All right. Incredibly talented. He was part of Disney. He's we're we're colleagues in, in age wise. We're the same age, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he went to Disney along with John Musker and and uh, you know good friends. Uh, but uh, he he would have a lot of rich stories. Um, Beautiful. Another another friend. I think he's such a good storyteller, and he, he's he's younger, but done a lot of really good work. Is Gavin Freitas? Oh yes, I've been I've been chatting with him. Uh, we haven't been able to get our schedules to line up just yet, um, but we are working on getting him on. So uh, it's been very very hectic. I, I I haven't I don't know what, what I was thinking when we when we uh, when we had a, a one year old now, but it's just like man, I'm gonna have so much free time. I forgot like how much work a baby takes, right? So it really takes what it says. It really takes a village to raise a kid and they could not be farther from the truth, man. Um, so we're going to rotate in the fans questions here. And we got a couple here um, and they're, they're some really good ones. Um, Scotty, Scotty Wood wants to know what are some differences in the production between directing your first ep- episode to the most recent episode you di- uh, directed? Um, budgets are, you know, when we, when I started, the budgets were much smaller and they, mm-hmm. So we, we can have more artists. We have technology is different. When I started on the Simpsons and for 20 years on the Simpsons, everything was done on paper and with a disc like this, and we were drawing and flipping the same way they did Steamboat Willie and Bugs Bunny, you know, and Mickey Mouse. Uh, but now today it's technology with uh, where we still have to draw organically. We still draw but we're on a Cintiq or a Wacom tablet and everything is a digital file and everything's put together digitally. But when I started on the Simpsons, it was uh, paper, pencils, cameras with film and, uh, and, and everything is now, you know, computers, computer heavy now, but we still have to draw. You still have to know how to draw. And uh, you know, you still have to think, the comedy thinking has not changed mm-hmm. that that's the same so the budget for sure that's the big difference yeah beautiful um bg big max wants to know uh said can you ask him what are some of more uh what are some of more of the obscure simpson characters he liked to use uh like bumblebee man dr nick and so on was there some obscure characters or secondary characters that you absolutely loved working with um yeah, I. For instance, you mentioned uh, groundskeeper Willie. Yes, he first appeared in one of my episodes. Really, groundskeeper Willie did. Uh, oh, anything Phil Hartman did. Mm. Uh, I directed his first ep- the first episode he was in, and he was Lionel Hutz, and then he also played uh, the washed up movie star. You help me with the. Uh, um, you know, uh, Troy McClure. Troy McClure uh, I was about to say, if we don't get it, it's going to hit as soon as we hit end, and then I'm going to feel really pumped. <laughs> but I, I directed the last episode Troy McClure did. I loved working with Troy McClure. I also directed the first episode with Hans Molman. And <laughs> it's funny about both Hans Molman and, uh, um, with, uh, uh, groundskeeper Willie at the very, I think his very first episode, he yells, you ain't seen the last of old Willie. And, and, uh, <laughs> it's like threatening Bart or something like that. And, uh, Sam Simon was in the, in the room with the writers when we were watching the animatic and they were all laughing saying goodbye old Willie, like as if we would never see him again. But then the writers found he was such a rich character. They wrote him over and over. Now he's, He's just standard. He's a classic. But so we never thought we'd see him again. Also, Hans Molman. Boy, Matt, I, I, I hate to, you know, Matt, I love his sensibilities. But the first time he saw Hans Molman, um, I believe it was when it was in the Patty and Selma show, uh, Principal Charming, when he was applying for a driver's license. Mm-hmm. And we used this down camera angle. And we wanted him to be this pathetic guy. And he had that little, 
that little voice, that little weak voice. And, and Patty and Selma just pounded on him. But somehow his skin color and his size, Matt Groening looked at him and he said, what the hell's with this character? And, and he was like, let's not do another guy like that, okay? And, and yet, again, he was so damned funny that, and the writers could do so much with him. He kept reappearing and reappearing, but always getting like the electric chair or driving a truck that blew up or something. He was always like a bad luck character. So he was kind of fun to work with, you know, but I, I loved all the characters. I loved Homer. I like just, I love his character, just pure and simple. Um, but I love Marge and, uh, you know, I love the adults and their problems, but, you know, Bart, you know, all this stuff we were talking about earlier about the, uh, a lot of people not wanting their kids to emulate and be like, I don't blame them. I don't blame that. You don't want someone behaving like Bart. And the other thing that's kind of funny is the Simpsons on TV is funny. Mm -hmm. I had a friend say this to me once, uh, you know, cause I was referring to someone who was doing something stupid in my house and they said, yeah, the Simpsons in your, the Simpsons on TV is Homer on TV is funny. Homer in your living room is not. <laughs> so, so, but uh, yes, there you go. I don't know if I, I roundabout. I don't know if I gave you the answers you want, but oh, that you crushed it on that one, man. Uh, like I said, the next time you'll be on because this one, this one, uh, this one was a lot of fun. But I can't wait to do this again because. I've already got some stuff that I've written down that I intentionally knew we would get into the weeds on. I am I've the last couple weeks of the podcast, last couple months really, has been extremely Disney heavy. When I started this, it was Cartoon Network heavy for the first year. Uh, I did some Nickelodeon stuff here and there. Um, this year I've been focusing a lot on Disney because it's just it it's that was the first really animated movie. I mean, my favorite animated movie of all time is The Iron Giant. Brad Bird is a phenomenal director. He is up there. Like, if I've got a Mount Rushmore of directors, man, he is up there for sure. Um, Ratatouille as well, The Incredible. So it's been very Disney-heavy the last few months. Um, but after the last couple of weeks, it's starting to turn in real Simpsons-heavy. And I've had a lot of fun talking with you guys. But I've got a lot of stuff written down here for when the next time you come on. Because I knew specifically when you brought up Cal Arts and you brought up the Disney folks a couple of times and you brought up Ollie and frank and a few other guys um that we would get lost in the weeds for the disney the disney talk so i can't wait to have you back on to talk about that again so um mark where can people find you if they want to say hey mark i really like what you did how can they come by and say hi not to your house of course just on the social media side do you are you on social media at all i have an instagram now this is an odd thing uh mark k 1914 mm -hmm. and you know, you're going to look, go on there and you're going to see fine art and drawing. And that's what I do for a hobby. Somebody wants to, you know, friend me or something like that. That's fine. So Beautiful. And all of those links for your social media pages will be in the description. So people can just click and go straight to it. That way they don't have to Google it. Because let's be honest, Mark, a lot of people, myself included, are very lazy. If you say, hey, just look it up, just Google it. Like, nah, I don't want to do it. But if you give them a link, no problem because it's easy to just click and go so all those descriptions i'll get all those links from you that you want in the description of the video and we'll put them in there um but mark like i said this has been a real blast i never know what conversation what i'm going to get from these conversations but this one has been a real treat for me man i, I hope you had fun because i know i did too just getting to hear your process and how you broke down and, and getting to talk to the guy that probably started you know my fandom for the simpsons with Bart gets hit by a car and I get to sit across the screen from you for a little bit over an hour, man. So like I said, this has been a real blast for me and I can't wait to do part two and probably would be on part 72 before we even wrap up the first 10 years of your career, man. Cause like I said, you've done a lot just to boil it down into a very simple sentence. You've done a lot of very cool shit in your lifetime, Mark. And I'm so happy you came on the show to talk to me about it. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, uh fun questions. So very, very oh. nice. And there's going to be a lot more of fans questions next time. Cause I promise you, man, like one, I've already started to see my phone light up here. Um, so the next time we come on, I've already got a list started here on my little yellow legal pad and it's not yellow because of the Simpsons. It's just, I, I like these yellow legal pads, man. So, you know, I, I gotta wear a yellow shirt too, but nonetheless, man, he's been Mark. I've been Julian. This has been a what's in my head podcast. And this has been another piece and a very huge piece of your childhood. Good night. My guest next week is Disney co-director of Beauty and the Beast, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 
in Atlantis, the Lost Empire, Mr. Gary Truesdale. Enjoy the teaser. Fans questions, man. When you think of Beauty and the Beast, man, is there a scene or a image or a song or any part in this 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 movie where you think defines this movie? Um, I mean, for me, it's got to be the ballroom, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's, there's a couple of reasons I say this. I mean, one, one of them is, you know, because this is what everything in the movie is leading up to, you know, mm. all the, the, um, the, the story, the character arcs, the emotion, the color, you know, everything is leading to the scene. Then you open the door and it's, you know, one of the, one of Disney's first like full CG environments that's moving around and James doing, you know, the, the uh, the characters dancing in 3D and yeah I mean plus Angela's song holy smokes you know it's it, it all came together it all worked and to have something like fire off on all cyl- all cylinders like exactly the way it's supposed to and better yeah that's that's something you can you can hope for but but um, you know like like you said earlier it's like you, you don't know you know yeah. we, we didn't know what we had. We, you know, we were hoping, but um, yeah, that's that's the one that's the one that came together. And then the the other reason I, I like that one there's a, there was a um, the Disney. I don't know if they still do this or not. I'm sure they do, but but they do test screenings with like test audiences, recruited audiences, and, and we'll go out to a theater somewhere. And Kirk and I, since you know we're just like cartoon guys, we we are not recognizable to the public you know we just like walk into the theater and we just like sit down you know and and so there's like people all around us so we're like kind of seeing what the reactions are and the scene when the beast comes out of the top of the stairs and he's wearing you know that that blue coat you know and uh and the door across from him opens up and bell steps out in in her yellow ball gown and they were like like people were like you know whistling and like woo and uh and there's this girl sitting right behind Kirk and myself. She's probably like 18 or 19. And she, we could hear her go, she's just a cartoon. And we were like, ooh, oh, I tell you, a tough crowd, ooh. And, uh, <laughs> and Rodney Dangerfield, that's the first time it's been done on this show. Thank you, Gary, I appreciate it. <laughs> and so, so, you know, we go through the, the, the opening song at the, at the table, and then they go into the ballroom. And the doors open up. And and the um, you know the, the the digital ballroom comes on, and Kirk and I heard this girl go, "Holy shit!" And we went, "Yeah, we got her!" 